0: You are now listening to The Soul & Wonder Podcast, Episode 24, The World Peace Diet with Dr. Will Tuttle.
1: Welcome to The Soul & Wonder Podcast, where the conduits of the body, depths of the mind, and atlas of the soul are explored with devotion. Through cultural exchange, Christopher and Sarah and their guests will deliver sacred wisdom from around the globe. Uncovering the hidden gems of conscious living and holistic healing, all to empower you on your journey of self discovery. And now, here are your hosts, Christopher and Sarah.
0: Welcome to the Soul and Wonder Podcast. We are your hosts, Christopher and
2: Sarah. So happy to have you here. As always, this one, we're going to keep our intro and health tip a little bit short because we've got a lengthier interview than we usually do, but we've got a visionary educator, Dr. Will Tuttle, to join us on our show today. He's presented widely throughout North America as well as worldwide. He's a 35-year vegan, and he's the author of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The World Peace Diet and is a recipient of the Courage of Conscience Award and the M.T. Cage's Prize. And he's also editor of the recent book, Circles of Compassion, Connecting Issues of Justice. Now, we've read the World Peace Diet. We've seen him in lecture. This man is brilliant. He expresses his points so eloquently, you won't be able to stop listening to him. He is devoted to cultural healing and awakening. He's even a Dharma master in the Zen tradition and has a doctorate degree from the University of California, Berkeley, focused on educating intuition and altruism in adults. He's taught college courses in creativity, humanities, mythology, religion, and philosophy, and he's also a composer and concert pianist with eight CD albums of original piano music. (laughs) If that doesn't make you feel guilty for sitting at home watching Netflix, I don't know what will. But... Dr. Will Tuttle is noted for his clear and inspiring presentations, and he's even been featured in the hit film documentary Cowspiracy, among others. Super awesome guy. And in this specific episode, we're going to dive into his personal story as well as the main topics of his best selling book, The World Peace Diet. Go get it, it's really good, which has also been called one of the most important books of the 21st century, and it's even been published in 16 languages worldwide. So, the World Peace Diet provides the foundation of a more conscious society based on the truth of the interconnectedness of all life. And Dr. Tuttle will make explicit the invisible connections between our culture, our food, and the source of our broad range of problems, and the way to a positive transformation in our individual and collective lives. Of course, anyone wishing to understand the big picture of our culture and why we have the unyielding dilemmas we face and how we can solve them will be fascinated by these provocative, challenging, and ultimately inspiring ideas. Don't miss this one. Share it with your friends and family. Question the status quo is ultimately the main message of this episode. And of course, stick around to the end of the episode for your health tip, which will be on self-care.
0: And a few quick updates, as of Monday, this past Monday, May 1st, we have released Eat to Thrive, and this is our revolutionary four-stage wellness program that focuses on whole food, plant-based nutrition, and we also use herbal medicine to complement that, to help you heal, cleanse, rebuild, and reconnect with your food, establish a deeper relationship and develop sustainable eating habits.
2: Don't miss it. We've seen such wonderful results from our two test groups. Everybody's feeling great. Everybody's feeling strong. You guys are going to love this program.
0: And if you want more information on this program, you can visit soulandwonder.com slash eat hyphen to hyphen thrive. Eat to thrive.
2: There you go. Let's dive in the Dr. Will Dr. Will Tuttle ladies and gentlemen, we are back with Dr. Will Tuttle. Dr. Tuttle, thank you so much for joining us on our show. We're super happy to have you.
1: It's great to be here, Sarah and Christopher. I'm delighted and thank you everyone for listening in.
2: Yeah, you know, we, um, we'd we heard of you before um, as we've been devout vegans for the past couple years and we heard of you in the movement. However, it wasn't until last year towards the end that we were able to Go to one of your lectures at Buffalo State, and we were just so inspired by your performance with the piano, your lecture, your wife's artwork, all of that. We just left that lecture feeling so empowered this and ready to change the world. Sim-
0: simply <laughs> profound, actually. Well,
1: thank you. I, it's really um, <clears throat> very uh, heartening to hear that it touched you that way. That's the um, the thing that you know, Madeline and I, as we travel. The not just the United States, but really we've been traveling globally, um, the idea is to plant seeds of uh, vegan understanding and that hopefully people will be able to make connections to their own inner wisdom and then in their own way uh, embrace and embody and, and um, live these these ideas because I think in many ways uh, they've been stripped away from us from the time of little infants. We've been taught that we have to abuse others in order to get the nutrients that supposedly we need and and we don't need to harm others and that's a, a an enormous uh liberation i think really for our society and for ourselves
2: well absolutely and you guys are definitely succeeding at your mission i would say
1: <laughs> thanks
0: Thank and i you. do have to comment i really enjoy how you guys do it as a pair and as a team because as sarah and i work together as a team it's uh it's really interesting to see uh, the duo and how how they work together and how you can balance each other, the yin and the yang. So it's really cool to see that, and we appreciate that a lot.
1: Right, right, yeah, definitely. Uh, Madeline's a huge part of everything that we do, and uh, in fact, she's right here in the room <laughs> right now. We're working on a, another, <laughs> working on another, uh, another uh, book, and um, with some with some of her art. And, uh, yeah, we do, uh, uh, last year we were on the road the entire year, but a lot of, most of the years we're on the road at least half the year traveling.
2: Wow. That's incredible. That's yeah. awesome though. Kudos to you guys. So what does um, veganism mean to you? And I want to know how did your vegan journey begin?
1: Yeah, well, well, veganism to me is our true nature and it's not anything, uh, that is unusual or or um that we need to import you know it's it's kind of like in a way when people um perhaps at a certain point or in certain places um people were cannibals and they ate other people and then you had people that said well you know we we don't feel like that's right do We, we don't have a special name for those people who don't eat other people they're just you know, we consider them kind of normal. (laughs) They don't eat other people. (laughs) We have a name for people who eat people that's like cannibals, you know. And uh, I think it's the same thing, you know, when people are eating animals, it's it's a kind of a a form of, in a way, of cannibalism in the sense that it's unnecessary, causes a lot of suffering, it's devastating, it's it's not uh, good really on any level. And people who don't do that, you know, we have a name for them, vegans, but really there should be a name for the people who eat animals (laughs) as some kind of a, a perversion. It's not something that we... Uh, We're not perverse in the sense that we, we, you know, we choose to be perverse. It's just uh, something we inherit in a sense. We're born into this. So, um, to me, veganism is love. It's respect. It's uh, questioning the official stories of our society that uh, are um, promoting exploitation and oppression and uh, injustice. And it's also... Uh, freedom you know i think it's it's our basic sanity just expressing itself i think the word veganism in a sense is sort of looking from the outside and and putting a label on something that's really our our natural wisdom just spontaneously expressing but in our society it's quite a challenge to get to the point uh, where this is uh, happening because all of us have been uh, required from the time of little infants to participate in mealtime rituals where we're taught to disconnect from this wisdom and empathy and sensitivity that is natural and we're taught to put on armor and to uh, See beings as mere objects pieces of meat, you know instead of seeing a being we see just a thing And that not only harms those beings. I mean they're they're horribly abused because we harden our gaze and just see them as pork or bacon or chicken or something like that. But the um, the harm is also to us. We, we create a whole society based on uh, exploitation and violence. And uh, th- this kind of uh, competition where uh, there's, there's just a, an enormous uh, amount of suffering to people who are also oppressed in the process. So for me, I, I was raised... In a typical meal in the in the northeastern part of the United States, in a family that ate, ate, ate the typical meals, and we um, we really never discussed it. I had no uh, little light coming through the wall about uh, the possibility of not eating animals. This was back in the 1950s in Massachusetts, and uh, I remember my mother asking me. Uh, well, actually, I asked my mother when I was about seven years old, uh, if everybody eats the way we're eating. You now that basic question. You know, I, I was getting old enough to kind of think about things, and I just wondered. And she said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, everybody eats the way we eat. This is this is what people eat. The kind of food we're eating is what everybody eats." And I said, "Everybody in the whole world?" She said, "Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> this is this, this, this is it. You know, this is what people eat. And <laughs> you know, this is kind of like." And uh, I guess how a lot of people, you know, really don't think outside of our national borders anyway, most of the time as Americans. But um, but anyway, I I, uh, I thanked my mother. I said, okay, thanks. You know, and then she left and then she came back a few minutes later and she said, you know, that wasn't true. There are vegetarians. And that was the first time I ever heard that word. And I asked her what that was. And she basically said, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. You'll never meet one. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, she said, "I've never met one. I'm a lot older than you are. You know, I, I don't know where they get their protein." So, uh, my, the basic message I got from my mother was that these vegetarians are these poor people who are probably starving to death. They don't get enough protein. They're probably dragging themselves through the mud and uh, have no energy and you know either that or they're exotic people that live on some other planet where people you know are very different than we are you know and the thing is my mother was completely correct in the sense that I never did meet one I never heard the word again it was was, that was the end of it for many years and uh, in the meantime I went away in my teen years early teen years to a summer camp in Vermont where I learned and actually participated in killing animals it was a farm uh affiliated this beautiful little cute organic dairy farm where nothing bad could ever happen but i uh i learned to kill chickens you know to hold them down and cut their head off with an axe and i learned how to we learned actually how to kill the dairy cows too because you know even though a cow would normally live at least 20 years 20 to 30 years naturally on any dairy organic or not when they reach about five years old at the most um, they're killed because their production declines because they're kept pregnant and lactating, which breaks down the health of any female mammal very quickly. And so they just have to be killed and, uh, and then replaced by one of their um, offspring typically. So um, so I participated in that. And even though I, I didn't enjoy killing animals at all, to me it was horrible, but it was something that was absolutely necessary. It went right. together with everything I learned in school, everything I learned in church everything I learned watching television, everything I learned walking around the town with my uh, family and relatives it all fit together, I knew that God gave us animals, they don't have a soul, they taste good, if you don't eat them you're going to die within 24 hours of a protein deficiency Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's basically how it is that's the way that everything is set up we're carnivores, right that basic idea, we just have to eat meat and we have to eat dairy to get enough uh, calcium. We, otherwise, we, you know, our bones will probably just turn to rubber or something, and our teeth will fall out. So that was what I was taught, and I believed it, and I went away to college. But the good thing was, during the Vietnam War era, which is when I was there, in 1971 until 1975 in Maine, um, I re- I started questioning things. You know, everybody was questioning a lot of the the official stories in the media about war and. Terrorism, so-called, and and the role of um, of human beings in in, uh, in war and how we were, uh, you know, what we were doing in Vietnam. And so I would go to protests and I would think about these these things. And and um, but I never I never really made the connection to animals. I, I made the connection a little bit uh, to uh, environmental issues and the deforestation issues and so forth. But it was only when I left college and And that's the basic, I guess, message really in the World Peace Diet is the power of community. You know, the only reason anyone eats meat and dairy products and eggs, we only have one reason we do it. You know, we do it because our community taught us to do that. And we're living in communities we are very malleable from the time we're born. Our mothers and fathers and friends and neighbors and relatives and all the officials, everybody in our lives, we look to them for guidance and, and anthropologists understand that the main ritual in any society in terms of really passing values and norms from generation to generation as the meals of any society. And so when we're sitting down and eating food, we're not just eating food, we're eating we're eating attitudes and ideas and, and basic uh, orientation in the universe. And so it's very difficult for us to question this. It's, it goes back, I think, in a sense to perhaps earlier times when Living in small groups and tribes, uh, it would be impossible, really, for someone to say, "Well, I'm not going to eat the food that you're eating in <laughs> the mm-hmm. tribe." You know, It'd be like, "Well, then you're not part of the tribe. You're nobody. You might as well go off and die by yourself and the heck with you." You know, and so anyone questioning the tribe's food, uh, that that's very, very uh, threatening to to oneself and to in one's relationships and so i think these there's there's repercussions of these deep feelings and awarenesses within us even today and so i was raised in that milieu i was a part of that you know of, of these communities of eating animal foods and the most bonding situation was was these meals and uh the good news for me actually was that when i left home after graduating from Colby College in 1975, and I traveled with my brother. We were—we thought we would uh, go to California, and we ended up, after a few months walking, kind of on a spiritual pilgrimage. We ended up in, for a while, in Tennessee. We walked actually all the way from Massachusetts to Tennessee. Wow! It took us quite a few months. We had no money. We were just walking. We actually walked right through Buffalo. I remember. And <laughs> <laughs> back 75 in the fall and we walked from there we headed south down through upstate new york and, and pennsylvania west virginia kentucky and then uh, by the end of the year we had reached uh, uh, tennessee and there was a community there called the farm which at that point was the largest commune in the world it was basically i guess what you would call today a hippie commune in the sense that the people were from california they were mostly long-haired hippies and they were all vegetarians they said they didn't eat meat and we would today call them vegans because they, no one heard of that word vegan back then, but they didn't eat dairy products or eggs either. And they did it primarily for two reasons. One was um, they were aware, because of Francis Moore LePay's book that had come out and other research, that eating uh, meat and dairy products is very wasteful, and, and that we have people starving to death by the tens of thousands every day, and yet we're feeding grain that could feed these people to animals and and eating these animals that's wasteful and inefficient use of resources. So they wanted to contribute to making a more peaceful world. So they were eating lower on the food chain so there would be enough food for everyone to eat. And so when they told me that, this light bulb went on and I thought, you know, that's true. I know that's true. We could feed everyone actually if we we, uh, all would just eat uh, a more plant-based diet and and then the other reason was just they they talked a little bit about the routine mutilations and hyperconfinement and abuse that we humans meet out to animals used for food and I hated to really open up to that but once I you know for me to me once I think a human heart opens up to the reality of the hideous abuse of cows and pigs and chickens and fishes and other beautiful animals, what we do to them in order to eat them. It's not just the killing, but it's the confinement and uh, mutilation and impregnation against their will and the stealing of babies. And I've really experienced this. I mean, Madeline and I have made a concerted effort to visit stockyards and slaughterhouses and and, um, factory farms and uh, aquaculture operations, fish farms and things. And It's so much worse than you could ever even imagine. I mean, even seeing videos, you get a sense of it, but just smell it and just be there. its These poor animals, they're terrified, and they're in terrible pain their entire lives from birth until death. And so for me, it was this beautiful revelation where I suddenly saw the dark side uh, very clearly of animal agriculture that's covered up in our society. We sort of pretend that it's not there, but, at the same time, I had this amazing living example of nine hundred people every day we had breakfast, lunch, and dinner together, and they were always plant based meals and I was learning about all these new foods, you know That's <laughs> I incredible. never you know I never really you know, growing up I, the way I I never really had eaten lentils before <laughs> or soybeans. I don't know what the heck a soybean was tofu and and uh, all these things you know I was learning about and uh, they made the very first soy ice cream that was ever made anywhere in the world you know we made it at the farm and um, it was, you know, wasn't very good, but we thought it was pretty good. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> taste, bud, taste buds, taste buds evolved.
1: <laughs> yeah, taste buds. That's what I figured, you know, well, you know, I mean, it's not causing any suffering, and people can eat, and you know, we'll have this, you know. And it's so great to see in the last, you know, forty years how how ice cream has really evolved too. <laughs> so uh, it's um, anyway. So it was that that uh, juxtaposition of the two realities. You know, the reality of the misery and violence, and this real- reality of the fact that we can eat these delicious meals and so you know it's true it took me probably a few weeks to kind of get used to eating more vegetables grains uh you know tofu i I was you know i actually always liked it but but there was um you don't you know you don't necessarily have to eat a lot of tofu to be a, a vegan certainly but but anyway i i uh i started learning about all that and that was it you know and from that day I was at the farm in um, the very end of December in 1975. I've never eaten meat again because I I, under, I made the connection and I thought, well, that's it, and that that has been it. And then a few years later, I was in California about in 1980. By that point, and I uh, finally really you know understood the routine abuse to uh, cows and hens for dairy products and eggs. So I became a vegan. In 1980, and then one other opportunity I had a few years later was when I shaved my head, and I was living as a Zen monk in Korea uh, in 1984. And I realized, even though I was already had been a vegan for a few years, I realized I was in a community that had been practicing veganism for many, many centuries, probably for at least 700 years. And that this was a an, a an extension of a tradition that went back uh, probably several thousand years at least that people who are uh, really uh, serious and consequent about spiritual uh, development that they don't eat animal foods you know they don't cause suffering to other living beings unnecessarily. And so the, besides the fact that at this uh, Song Wang Sa Zen Monastery, there was no meat, dairy products or eggs, no, no no animal foods of any kind, there was also no leather, no wool, no silk, no products that were wh- – where you would harm animals. Even the fact that there were mosquitoes uh, in the summer uh, and they were pretty thick but we always uh, had a, a net that we would put up in the meditation hall and then if, if a mosquito got in – you would never kill a mosquito. You would, you know, put her outside, you know, if you could, or something. So the whole idea was you just don't kill because I think when our minds are making an effort to clarify and to free themselves from uh, delusion and from cultural programming, which is uh, puts us in bondage in many ways, uh, is harmful. Then vi- we re- we get very sensitive, I think, to violence. We begin to see that that harming other living beings not only harms them, it harms ourselves, And it creates a, a hardness in our heart that really cuts us off from feeling the beauty and benevolence and celebratory nature of, of, of the world and to, and to really appreciate trees and flowers and birds and, and, and other human beings and to appreciate ourselves and to love ourselves and to love our life and to see our life as an, a beautiful gift and as an opportunity to grow and awaken and to serve the unfoldment of, of something on this planet that is uh, beautiful and creative. That That's what we're designed for. Our, our purpose is to awaken. And yet, uh, I realized when I was at Song Wangsa Monastery and we were meditating from 3 o'clock in the morning till 9 o'clock at night every day for months that – um i had been raised in a society where my mind had been colonized by a uh, toxic program that was sort of against without my permission was just injected into me from birth primarily through the foods by very well-meaning people i'm um, not to say my parents and teachers and doctors weren't well-meaning but they had been similarly indoctrinated and, and abused by a system that goes back uh, you know about 10 10- thousand years of this hurting mentality of commodifying other beings and creating systems uh nested systems economic governmental religious and so forth that all support violence and abuse and domination and uh, that create injustice and inequality so i realized i could see this clearly i think i'm so grateful that there are people in the past who have made efforts at spiritual awakening so that they can uh, free themselves from the uh, delusion of separate, of, of being fundamentally separate, and to see that if all life is connected. And that as long as I'm, you know, just acting out of the, the delusion of being a separate self, where I'm harming others and, and seeing them as instruments to get what I want for myself, that, that I'm creating misery for, for myself, and them, and for everyone. It, underlying that, there's this there's this um, basic strife in the the sanskrit word is samsara it means suffering that never ends because it's based on the delusion and so through meditation i realized that it's possible to quiet the mind to the point where there's a, a receptivity to an understanding that what we are is not a physical thing just a physical body that we're consciousness actually that's eternal and that is of the nature of joy and creativity and uh, and understanding and wisdom and um, and freedom that that's really who we are what we are and that we're here in a sense expressing through a physical vehicle for just a few decades it's not a long time and so to use our time here uh, to the best possible uh, advantage from that perspective so that we're uh, awakening and contributing and learning Uh, more about how uh, we can thrive and uh, help others on their path as well so when I came back from Korea after you know that meditation experience uh, I felt like I had these roots of veganism that went much deeper it was no longer sort of this just sort of a rational thing that makes sense it is very rational veganism is ultimately extremely wonderful in the sense that it's it makes sense rationally and logically but I realized at a deeper level it's it's our true nature that if we're eating animal foods, we're we're it's it's um, it's it's always indicative of a disconnect that's been uh, forced on us, really, without our permission. And that we the good news, the great good news is that we can question that as individuals, and then we can share these ideas with other people. Which is what you're, which is why I love your work. You know, what you're doing is helping uh, people to. Ah uh, question that that toxic program and then provide an example of another way of living. And I think that that opens the doorway for creating a world where we don't have the kinds of problems that we're having today which seem completely insoluble and they are insoluble. as long as we're eating animal foods, the actions and the mentality, we cannot solve these problems. We have to as a society go vegan, which sounds like a, a you know, it's like we're doing something that's not natural, but it's really—it's like not being cannibals anymore. You know, <laughs> just being, you know, living how we're intended to live here, and waking up out of this—it's this really a imposed hypnotic trance that's continually reinforced through advertising and through cultural conditioning and through the daily meal rituals that we have with our our um, relatives and things. So, thanks so much again for the work you're doing, and and that kind of summarizes, I guess, you know, how I got into it and and what i think veganism is.
0: Well, thank you for the work you're doing and we appreciate it and you've really inspired us to break out and and share a lot of this information with the world and and again what you're doing is is very profound and your work is is brilliant. So
2: When it's, we relate to you on a profound level in the sense of, you know, that you started asking questions. I, myself, was also six or seven years old at the dinner table asking. I remember looking at my dog and looking at the pork on my plate and asking my dad, so why do we eat this animal, but we don't eat that animal?
1: (laughs) That's the $100 question.
2: (laughs) And my parents didn't know what to say. They just said, we just do. We just eat this way. I don't know why, but we do. And they they didn't even tell me they were vegetarians. I had to figure that out when I (laughs) got out of high school. But, you know, much like you, you started asking questions. You started – finding the answers within yourself and being guided along the path of other people who had been asking the same questions and that's what happened with Christopher right. and I and it just I mean it's almost like it, it, just, it just erupts it explodes and it's almost it's just completely undeniable that that's the path that needs to be taken at that point and it's right. so hard to explain to someone who's questioning you about your veganism of what of the process or the method because there's still that gap in consciousness which I'm sure you've talked to or heard of Melanie Joy the psychologist and right it's just such a it's a very interesting transformation but all of these topics that you've mentioned I know that you cover them in the world peace diet and you cover them very detailed especially I wanted to mention this to you before we move on but how you said you and your wife would go to these factory farms and agricultural areas and see how it's much worse than we even than we're even looking at on a screen with a video and that was something that you were able to do was with your words paint a much more detailed picture for the reader to see because although I'd seen a lot of documentaries and I'd seen a lot of activist videos the word that were in your book definitely took it to another level that even for myself, who is already a practicing vegan, had to kind of take a breath a few times before each chapter and just kind of like regroup and, you know, center. And I just love how you do that.
1: Right. Yeah, I know. It's it's. Um, I think it's important really to see that veganism is really uh, a critique of an existing a system that is devastating on every level, but it's more than that. It's not just a critique. It's also this a solution. <laughs> you know, there's an alternative that's that we have, which is so important to, to understand. And I think it, it's really uh, essential, really, for all of us if we're interested in living a life uh, of authenticity and, and meaning, uh, that we, you know, do the difficult. Thing which is to sort of you know like in the Wizard of Oz, just you know pull the curtain back and really see that it's all an illusion. You know that that the we're we're told that somehow we're good, kind, loving people. We like to have a good steak, and that's just great. These animals are here for us to eat. It's all this is all on the up and up. This is the way it should be. And to really look behind and see the utter. Vicious reality of of the abuse. I mean how it's devastating to the people involved the workers have the highest rates of uh, Perpetrator induced traumatic stress disorder. They're stabbing in animals all day. They're impregnating them in, on rape racks There, the amount of sexual perversion and sexual abuse the amount of horrible just abuse of the animals that is that is going on and it's you know and the interesting thing for me you know being a vegan now for almost 40 years and from the very beginning um doing you know research and trying to promote veganism um to see that that um you know there's no reason for us to be engaging in this behavior it's devastating on every level it's it's far more traumatic than we realize, and even for me, after 37 years of being a vegan, I I learn more literally every day that reconfirms it even more. I mean, it, it's you know, and and the neat the other neat thing is that like last year we did, we I think we broke a record. We gave, I think, close to 300 lectures in one year. I mean, that's almost Man. a lecture. Every, you know, it's like you know, usually we do maybe 150, but um, we did you know th- all, so many. And so the point is, I've given you know thousands of lectures and 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 taken you know questions. And and, and you know, um, I've never heard anyone ever say something that made me think, hmm, maybe maybe you're right maybe i shouldn't be a vegan (laughs) you know it's like it's it's not it's it's just on every level you can think of it lines up you know from the point of view of our health uh, point of view of our uh, spirituality and psychology from our culture from the environment from animals from you know any angle you can possibly look at and um so the the underlying idea here i think is that we uh find somehow within ourselves the, uh, the core of who we are. And once we do that, then there's an enormous release of energy, I think. We, we suddenly feel, gosh, you know, I, everything I was told uh, about this is actually devastating to, to not only animals in the earth, but to, to myself. That I, when I'm abusing animals, I'm also actually a victim of abuse myself. I'm only eating these foods because I've been forced to have my own intelligence and sensitivity reduced so that I can do this and participate and pay people. Because I'm telling you, if you go to a stockyard or one of these places and you see the workers there, they're so shut down and their hearts are so so closed. It's it's um. And, he, and it's, there's just this ugliness, absolute ugliness in every single aspect of animal agriculture, the way it's done. It's, it's just this domination of, of nature and, you know, these monocropped fields where Monsanto, you know, just this GMO, uh, you know, that's, that's where most of the GMOs are, are grown and fed are to animals and uh, they're killing fields for everything else. And, and visiting um, sanctuaries, you know, we've had a chance to go to sanctuaries, which are, are places if people don't know where animals are rescued. Somehow they, come, they escape the system, cows, pigs, chickens, and other animals. Yeah, And we've been to, to sanctuaries in the United States, Canada, Europe, Australia, you know, all over the place. And um, one of the things I've learned is that people who are running sanctuaries say that you know, the, in the last uh, ten years or so, there's been this proliferation of backyard operations where people say, "Okay, you're right. Factory farming is bad, so we're going to only eat meat from small backyard operations where the animals are well treated and uh, free-range, organic, you know, kind of thing." And that the the so many animals that end up at these sanctuaries that come from small backyard operations are horribly abused, even. Very often is bad or worse than the large-scale commercial operations so there isn't any way we can kill animals or steal their their secretions that it's that is not harming them there we always have the sense of owning them They're they're our property we're taking from them what is not given we're uh, breaking our trust betraying them and uh, I think we, it, it's time for us to realize that it's absolutely unnecessary. There are no nutrients that we need to be healthy, that we need to harm animals to get. We can get them all in other ways, from plant-based foods. They, they come from plant-based foods. They come from plants. If we, take, if we eat animals' foods, we're, we're just getting the nutrients from plants, and we're getting all the misery plus all the toxins that concentrate. To really understand this clearly – you know it doesn't happen overnight but i think it's the greatest effort anyone can make really in terms of health and liberation for oneself and the world to make that effort you know and no one can make that effort for someone else that's why it's important uh for us to um to emphasize i think the importance is that everyone you know, really make an effort to, to understand and not just believe the lies that are constantly being uh thrown in our direction by a society that's based on a bunch of lies a bunch of misinformation that is devastating i I love the words of voltaire he said if we believe absurdities we will commit atrocities and i think that's that underlies the whole thing it's you know believing absurdities is one thing but the problem is that we then it tends to push us into doing things that are so abusive uh to others and to ourselves
2: absolutely and i'd like to play devil's advocate for a second really quickly sure. um Obviously, I'm not of this perspective, but <laughs> so what if I want to raise my own dairy cow or my own chickens for slaughter and for eggs? What's what's the spiritual or psychological ramifications of me making that decision to have Betty my dairy cow and Fred and Joe and Susan my chickens? You know.
1: Well, you know the thing is, um, I, I've worked a lot with people in India who. Uh, and they even have a, a more extreme um, uh, foundation for this kind of agriculture. I mean, you know, if talking to people in India and saying, you know, they say, we've been doing this for thousands of years. You know, the cow is part of the family. Uh, we, you know, we, we take some milk and we feed her and here she is. And we don't, you know, we don't, we take care of them. We don't kill them. I mean, it's really like, it couldn't get any better than this. Right. And yet, quite honestly you go to india i have a friend uh who's and i and in fact we're going to india ourselves um in a few months but um who went around india and went to p- people who have cows like this they one one or two cows and they get the dairy and they're it's all very um you know looks all so perfect on the outside and he said you know you just ask two questions <laughs> and they suddenly the people get very uncomfortable one question is So what do you do with the male calves that are born? Mm. Because a cow, you know, people think that cows just give milk. You know, like, you know, it's comical. I mean, that we don't think any more deeply. And it's really, Madeline and I were visiting a woman, very intelligent, in her 60s, had a PhD, and we were talking about some of these things, and she said, wait a minute, are you telling me that cows don't just give milk? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, us, like a, like a woman, when she reaches, you know, 13 years old, she just starts squirting milk everywhere, you know, for no reason, <laughs> and they don't just give milk, they give milk like we do, when they have a, give birth to a little calf then. Get milk so if you if you have a you want to have your own milk and you have your own cow i mean first of all you're going to have to feed that cow and that's going to take a lot of land and grain to do and then the cow's not going to give it any milk unless you impregnate her so how do you impregnate her oh well you can have try to have a bull and do it that way that's not easy you normally that's not done anymore you have a veterinarian comes by and does it i talked to a woman who um said you know she 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 did this for a while she had a she had us a, a few cows and she said you know it was amazing when the, when the cows heard the sound of the, they knew what the veterinarian's pickup truck sounded like they and when they heard that pickup truck coming they ran as far away as they could in the, the corner of the of the, pan, of the of the whole farm because they did not want to be raped but that's what they that happens i mean they it's an, it's not a pleasant experience for a cow to be impregnated by a human and, and then, of course, I, lived, I also met another woman who lived next to um, uh, an operation in upstate New York where um, they had bulls that they masturbated to get the sperm. And she said, they suffer terribly. It's not a pain. It's not a pleasant process for them either. And so this is what this is what's going on behind the curtain. And then so you're masturbating the males, you're getting the and you're impregnating in the females. And it's a, you know, it's a. I won't go into it, but it's it's pretty brutal how they do it. And then, anyway, then and then she, after nine months, she gives birth to this calf. And so now, now the milk starts flowing. Well, you do not want that milk going to the calf. I and mean, that's your milk. So the calf you give, and, and on any d- operation, organic or not, they're giving they're giving soy milk, believe it or not, to the calves if they're going to live. They're going to allow it to live, but only typically one out of four you're going to let live because. What are you going to do feed these cow these calves i mean they have to be impregnated every year or their milk is going to dry up so they're impregnated every year and so if, so they're killing they have to kill the calves and they do it all the time i mean they they just kill them and bury them i mean that's basically it And most dairy operations they just shoot them and they go whole, bury them and that's it i mean if the if the veal market's high enough then they can auction them off and then one out of the four or five, usually they kill her when she's around five. So she's had, at that point, she's usually had four babies. And they've been all stolen. And, I, and we've also heard the, the, the cries. I mean, you know, I don't have to tell people, but um, living in an RV, we, we very uh, we sometimes we, we just happen to be um, camping near, within earshot of a, some kind of dairy operation. And, I, and I've heard them calling all, all night. Just bellowing for their babies that are stolen. We've talked to them, some, and, they, and they say, "Oh yeah, you know, they they do it for a week sometimes, they but you know, they get over it. Hmm. And then after a few babies, they don't do it anymore. You know, so they get over it. It's not, it's not that bad. I mean, that's that's the mentality, you know, of people who are using these animals. And and then the males they that they send off to slaughter or they kill, they don't like to think about that. And then uh, the females, they also have to, you know, except one they'll save. The other, the they, females are also killed for veal. I mean, there's just so many babies that are created on dairy operations. And so that's that's going on behind the scenes. And then what are you going to do? And the other question they asked, so the question, the two questions to ask. this guy asked in India that they got uncomfortable is, what do you do with the males? And they didn't want to talk about it. They said, well, you know, we, we send them off to market, and that means they send them off to be slaughtered and what do you do the other question was what do you do with the with the cows when they don't when their milk production declines because that's going to happen e- you know even in the best of situations after you know they get maybe after t- 10 or 12 years they're they're not going to give any more milk uh, even probably less fewer years so in, in india there's a terrible problem because what they do at that point is they either send them to market or they just let them go and these and so there's in there's cows there's millions of cows in india that are basically half starving wandering the, the countryside eating garbage and nobody takes care of them and and it's a terrible situation for them and now they're being used very often they're they're brought to states where they're used for leather so the underlying idea is you can't do it in a way that's not stealing from them what is not has not been given to you i mean that's the milk is designed for their calves the milk itself has a whole litany of substances in it like casein is an obvious one igf1 growth hormone is another thing uh, estrogen is another I mean these three those three things I mean the, the high rates of the high amounts of estrogen igf-1 growth hormone and casein these are three extremely toxic substances to human beings we are not designed to have those things going into our bodies and running through our bloodstream estrogen you know it pushes I mean like in Japan and we've seen this over and over again when people adopt the Western diet of dairy products, the first um the age of a menarch, which is usually around seventeen or eighteen years old, naturally goes down to like twelve or eleven or thirteen, whatever because of all the estrogen and dairy products. Think of all the problems that causes when you have girls who you know suddenly who you know, who are still twelve years old mentally, now they can get pregnant and have a little baby and that shouldn't happen until they're older. But dairy Pushes this, you know, teenage pregnancies, all these things, all the the whole heartache. I mean, endless social problems because of that. And then the casein is a substance that we don't have the uh, enzyme renin like calves have to break down, and so we have this gigantic. Uh, protein coming into our body. It's the driving force behind breast cancer, prostate cancer, uh, type 1 diabetes, and type 2 diabetes, actually. Uh, Autoimmune diseases of various kinds are now linked directly to casein. So you know, that's what we're giving our children. We're giving them casein. They're they're not designed for that. And even as adults, we're you know we're not designed for that. Besides the lactose, and then IGF one growth hormone. Again, it's um, it's a carcinogenic substance that we're not designed to have. So. You know, this is this is this is even if the milk is totally organic and, and so forth, which it's very hard to find because cows, if they're eating anything and drinking anything, they're going to concentrate all the toxins, heavy metals, PCBs, dioxins, and all of the waste that that's just in our world and that very often is on uh, on the grass and grains that they're eating. It's all it concentrates more than anywhere else in milk. I mean, milk in any mammal is where most of the toxins will end up. So. Because because of the fat and the way the system, the way the systems are, so this is a really toxic substance, and the, and also people should know that dairy uh, very often products are um, uh, are you their their feed the dairy cows' feed is enriched with fish meal and fish meal today is probably again one of the most toxic things you could ever imagine and so we're getting all that in dairy and the same thing goes with with hen production i mean i could basically say the same thing with chickens i mean chickens are should be living their lives roaming freely in the jungles of southeast asia and they still are they still are that's where they are they're living there we, should, we 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 pull them out of their natural habitat we bring them here into a cold climate and confine them and and then uh, we have a sit- – people say, well, oh, but then my chickens are happy. And I say, okay, your chickens are happy. So, so that does, I mean, wh- what does that mean? I mean, are there any – do you have any males? Oh, no, no, no. We don't have any males. They're all females. We don't want any males. So already you have this ridiculous situation where there's no males. So they, they don't have the, any possibility to live their natural way they did for millions of years. And – um they uh, you know they're, they're they've are they been um genetically manipulated to give a lot more eggs than they normally would and and there's no not again just the same with with dairy there's no nutrients and eggs that are healthy for us that we need to eat it's the most concentrated cholesterol in any food there is actually is in an egg and uh, so why eat it i mean why cause these poor animals to go through the 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 heart it's hard to lay eggs i mean it's a it's hard to give birth to a baby and the the animals have to work very hard to lay an egg and to give birth to a baby and then we'd steal it and we'd say we want more and it's this gross domination of the feminine principle of the of the feminine force of giving birth to young uh, babies, of, of of nurturing and loving those babies. We, we steal that. We abuse these females. That we, The fact that we can even look at that and not see the violence shows how, as a society, how blind we have become, how hardened our sensibilities have become. You know, pe- people look back, you know, 150 years ago and talk about slavery and say, gosh, you know, that was really a dark time, how terrible it <laughs> happened to abuse these people. But you know they didn't see it. I mean, they thought, well, you know, I mean, they're happy. They're out there picking cotton. You know, what's the, what's the problem? And and so the fact that we can't see it shows how blind. Only it just shows that we ourselves have been enslaved. I mean, only slaves would enslave others and not realize what they're doing. You know, <laughs> that's basically what it is.
0: And you know what? It's really a lose-lose situation for everybody involved—the um, us as the consumer, and then obviously as we mentioned, the animals, and right. you know the health aspect of it. If we just look on the other end, when we start to begin to uh, adopt a plant-based lifestyle, plant-based diet, and eat this way, and even after a couple weeks, I mean, I we've seen clients of our own after two weeks have tremendous results.
2: Even just a few days.
0: And to see that then evolve into a few months, I mean, people reversing diabetes and, you know, there's cancers being cured. And it's again, that's, that doesn't happen for everybody. But again, if you adopt this lifestyle, the tremendous benefits that you reap from it is incredible.
1: Yeah, I know. That's so true. And it, to me, that's one of the most beautiful aspects of this. It's like for me, when I first went vegan, I remember thinking, well, you know, even if I am a little weaker or whatever, you know, it's worth it. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, because I don't want to cause the suffering to these animals. And then I realized as time went on that it's just the opposite. You know, I, you know, extra pounds go away. So you're, you, you know, uh, the, the, the ideal really in nature, I have a good friend he's an architect and um, you know he, he's become a vegan too and he says if you really look carefully in nature na- nature is brilliant in de- design you know design of systems of bodies and all and he said every system in nature is designed to maximize strength and minimize weight, you know, to make things light and strong and it's like, you know, veganism is really this this way of living, for at least, you know, from my experience, is where it just maximizes those things. I mean I feel like I'm you know, now I'm in my mid sixties and I I feel like I'm lighter and stronger than ever. And and that there's a sense of just natural joy that comes from that the harmony uh, and uh, and energy that that comes from eating this way and i think it's important as vegans to to um to really kind of educate ourselves that, so that we're eating uh mainly organic whole food diet so that we're eating you know good good vegan because you can eat vegan food that's not very healthy with mm-hmm. with gmos and with um toxic preservatives and a lot of fat and chemicals and and you can, and it's good i mean i think i mean it's better than eating animal foods but i think um it's it's really at least this is our experience like madeline i'm i feel so fortunate because madeline um is a in many ways is a real purist and and um didn't want uh to have foods. she was when she was very young she had uh, problems physically because of environmental toxins and so she got very savvy About reading labels and not eating things that had preservatives and chemicals and artificial flavors, and um, so when when we got together, you know, the the vegan uh, way of living really got blended with the um, the the organic whole foods way of living in our in our in our household, and the but the food gets so delicious that way. I mean, it's it's amazing when you take really good ingredients and and now we were on the road for 17 years in an RV so the only thing we could grow ourselves was sprouts all those years <laughs> very <laughs> good for you though. A, yeah, yeah they're good for you, <laughs> you know, we, we loved it but the uh, you know, but now we can actually have a garden we have we've planted a lot of fruit trees we have a, a food forest actually we with with berries and and trees and vegetables and herbs you know all growing together in community and we have so many birds and it's just so beautiful to see all the hummingbirds and birds and butterflies and bees and things that uh, that are in our yard where, where that are much more than anywhere else in our in where we live and so it's this whole like a little ecosystem that is like a space of love a, a place where life can really happen where we're eat, where we're building up the soil with our compost where um we're putting our love into the garden every afternoon for a few hours, and then the garden responds with all this delicious food. And then when we eat that, we you know it's so energizing, and it's and it's and it's healing, and it's joyful, it's beautiful, it's um that's life feeding life. You know, I think I remember being in um, on Maui with a friend who has a center there that he built with his own hands, and he planted um, a breadfruit tree like 20 years ago and the breadfruit tree is now this gigantic tree and he said if he said when you look at my body he said at least two-thirds of the cells of my body are made from that breadfruit tree. (laughs) He said that bread, you know, the breadfruit tree, I mean, breadfruits are amazing. You know, they're these huge, they're like like potatoes. You know, you can steam them, you can fry, you can uh, bake, you can, all these different ways you can eat breadfruit. And that's what he does. He's just, and the breadfruit, usually it only gives fruits uh, one season, but this one gives pretty much year round. And so he's always getting these, these. So he loves this tree. The more he loves it and builds the soil up, the more the tree responds and gives him more and more fruits. And <laughs> he said, you know, when I heard that story, I thought, you know, when people say they're eating meat, they're saying, well, I'm part of the food chain. You know, it's life feeding life. I thought, I thought no, that's ridiculous. That's death feeding life. That's misery. You know, but this is life feeding life. When we're when we're loving the earth and loving the trees and loving uh, and, and supporting them, and they're giving us some of their fruits, uh, and we're thriving, and they're thriving. I mean, this is, and the and birds are thriving. Everybody thrives. I mean, it's it's a it's a win win. This is available to us. I mean, we have the te- easily have the technology to feed everyone on this planet on a fraction of the land using techniques that would build soil and use a minimum of petroleum, a minimum of water, a minimum of land. We could easily allow the habitats, rainforests, oceans, lakes, and streams to. To rejuvenate and return, and wildlife and cows could live like they did for millions of years in the in the uh, steppes of, of of Asia, and pigs and chickens and turkeys and all these animals could live. I mean, and all the animals we're right now in a mass ext- extinction uh, of species. We're losing, according to some biologists, over a hundred species a day are going extinct because primarily of animal agriculture and the and the deforestation and destruction of ocean habitat which is all driven by people taking out their wallets and paying for meat, dairy products, and eggs. It destroys not just these animals that we're eating. It destroys the whole web of life and the climate uh, equilibrium. And and water and and, uh, depletion and water pollution and air pollution are, are massive problems that are all driven by animal agriculture. So the beauty is that our health is interconnected with the health of the ecosystem. And if we move to a plant-based way of living, not only are the foods healthier, the ecosystem is healthier. The water is cleaner. The air is cleaner. The climate is how it's supposed to be. And then our minds clarify. And then we can elect uh, Congress uh, and Senate and President and all these people. And we would have the wisdom to elect people who defend uh, and stand up for the Earth and for future generations and for children, you know. But if we're eating animal foods and we're eating torture and cruelty and war, what kind of politicians are we going to vote for? We're going to vote for those kind of politicians. Of course we are. That's what we do. We don't know any better because we're asleep. We're eating food, foods of violence, and so we create systems of violence. We have no other way to to operate because that's what's in us. As our as the food is our most intimate connection with nature, and and uh, so. The, the uh, message underlying all this is that it's right available to each one of us and the, the, the only um, difficulty really I think is in overcoming the, uh, the the sense of being part of a system and having a self-image uh, of someone who's who eats them in a certain way but the the, the really good news I think right now is that, Uh, As veganism grows, as this movement grows, the more people who go vegan, the easier it is for more people to go vegan. So it's kind of a a snowball effect that is happening. I I really see it happening. There are more and more vegan products, restaurants, uh, meetup groups, blogs, information available. Young people especially are moving quickly in this direction and as we travel to China, like we've been—I'm going again—you know—we've we've been several times to Korea and Vietnam and Singapore, as well as the Middle East uh, to um, Dubai and Africa and all over Europe. And we see meetup groups and restaurants that are vegan, uh, and we see uh, you know young people and and older people too, actually, and people who are uh, spiritually oriented uh, are are making these connections. And so it's it's a real uh, positive, ex, you know, expansion of this consciousness, and the the whole question, of course, is, you know, are we? Is it going to happen in time? <laughs> <laughs> are we going to be able to? You know, that's that's the thing. I mean, this this is the this is the big question on planet Earth to me right now is, you know, will we be able to uh, evolve in our understanding and behavior? away from the violence of animal agriculture to save this our, ourselves and, and all the other animals or, or not I, you know and I don't know I really don't know I mean it's it's, it's it really it's such a critical time you know these aren't just intellect these aren't just this sort of abstract concepts you and I are talking about these have such there's nothing more important I mean if anything is important to understand like, this is it really I mean this is critically important to understand
0: yeah, and we're really at a crossroads at the moment, and I'm really—it's encouraging to hear that you know you have you're traveling to Asian countries and that you're seeing more people adopt this this type of lifestyle. And Sarah and I were just in backpacking South America. We actually were in Africa for a few years serving with the Peace Corps, and at that point we didn't really um, we weren't in tune with the vegan lifestyle. But as we've then traveled more, we were in Colombia recently, and we were so surprised to see the amount of people that number one knew what vegan was and number two uh-huh. actually had there was vegan restaurants available with things besides just a salad.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, go ahead, sorry.
2: Oh, you can go ahead.
1: I was just going to say the, the, the cuisines of these countries for the most part are plant-based. I mean, traditionally, you know, before the incursion of colonial um colonial uh, domination and bringing in other you know other ways of eating. it was really the, it was really these um, uh, warrior societies that expanded from into Europe and from Europe to Africa and Southeast, South America and Southeast Asia that brought uh, meat and, and dairy and a and, uh, much, much more violent way of living. And I think uh, a lot of it is really getting back to some of the basic wisdom of the indigenous people of these regions which were they were much more plant-based actually originally
0: absolutely now if if one of our listeners is considering adopting a vegan lifestyle what what would be your advice to them
1: I think there's two main things um, one would be to Really make an effort to understand the ideas that we're talking about here, the, sort of the why ideas and why it's important to uh, question eating meat, products, and eggs because that prov- provides the fuel <laughs> for the journey when we really understand the devastating consequences of taking out my wallet and paying for something that looks very uh, sort of, looks, you know, normal. I mean, it's what everybody, you know, some piece of meat or a piece of cheese or egg or something uh, or order something in a restaurant. We're encouraged to do that all the time. But to see the devastating impact of that, so to make an effort to understand that, number one. And then number two would be more to focus on the how question. And, And I think in that case, um, to uh, try to f- make friends with someone, or go, or, or look online, or maybe find a local vegetarian, excuse me, or vegan uh, meetup group, uh, where um, I can learn how to substitute what I'm eating now for plant-based versions of the same recipes, or, or similar or different recipes that, that will be satisfying. So, like, what am I going to eat now? Like, normally I eat. Uh, eggs and uh, cereal in the morning with some uh, whatever, you know, and what am I, what am I going to eat now for breakfast? Or normally I eat such and such for lunch. What am I going to eat now? What do I eat for dinner? You know, to actually get, get into the practical dimension of, of veganizing the foods that I'm eating. And there's, you know, there's two ways to do it. I mean, one is there are plant-based versions of almost any food you can imagine. So that's one way that's kind of quick and easy in the sense that you can go and buy vegan cheese and buy vegan butter and buy vegan uh, eggs and meat and burgers and all these things and, uh, and, and just sort of make those substitutions. Um and then, of course, what I recommended earlier, I think that those are good maybe transitional foods. But as we continue on, I think it's really helpful to get to, to grains, vegetables. Uh, one of the problems, I think, that I just like to emphasize is that a lot of people think that moving to a, a vegan diet or a plant-based way of eating is um, – uh, you, they, they, it's not good to eat carbohydrates, or they, you have to just eat a lot of vegetables. And the problem with that, I mean, vegetables are extremely healthy and they're delicious. I mean, I, I love vegetables, but um, there's not a lot of carbohydrates or, or calories in vegetables typically. So um, a lot of people have a problem i think where they feel like they're not getting enough protein or not getting enough sustenance they lose weight which is good but then at a certain point they think gosh i'm feeling a little weaker so um you know it's i think it's important to be sure you're eating enough carbohydrates starchy foods grains potatoes sweet potatoes uh pasta and um you know these foods really provide uh, the foundation of energy, so that you can run up a mountain or whatever you need to do for the day, and the vegetables provide the vitamins and minerals and and um, phytonutrients, which are really important. And fruits also do as well. And and vegetables are high in proteins also. So, and nuts and seeds. But I mean, just to make sure you're eating enough carbs. That's an important. A lot of people don't do that, and then they don't really thrive, and they don't know why. It's they're not getting enough calories. And, and you won't gain weight on carbs.
2: <laughs> we're so, so, so glad that you mentioned that. That's something that we've reiterated many times on our podcast episodes. Um, I'm a huge grain lover, and we yes. we are very anti-low-carb diet people. Right, and right. I, we're trying to spread the education on why carbohydrates are good for you, what they do in the body on a biological level. And, you know, it's just there's so much misinformation out there about carbohydrates. Um so thank you for sharing that bit of information and
0: and also to mention I'm really happy that you shared uh, meetup because meetup is a very powerful tool that I don't know if a lot of people that are aware of but it's a great online community where people can reach out to others and any topic that you're really interested in but we've found vegan meetups to be very informative and just getting together with like minds and talking to people and creating that sense of community I think is super important And also to mention that, you know, you were talking about veganizing foods and that's what we saw. We saw that as a very important thing. So people can actually enjoy their normal comfort foods but in a plant-based way. And that's what we did with our Eat to Thrive program and and we've had a lot of – incredible results because of that and people really sticking to a plant-based diet
2: which even supports the no refined sugars no refined flours no oils standpoint so you're kind of taking that veganism up to a superhuman level
1: (laughs) right yeah exactly yeah you know i sometimes i forget you know that you know to say you know not eating refined products and and all that but yeah that's so important in in terms of just having a, a body that's clean and energized and doesn't get sick hardly ever and, and and um that's i think you know we i mean at a deep level we want we want to be happy you know we want to we want to enjoy our lives and i think to be effective to be creative to, uh and 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 um really to to be happy it, it's really important to to, to be healthy and uh, the beauty is on a, on a vegan diet is that it's the foundation of health. We're eating what we're sort of designed to be eating. We you know our bodies run on glucose, and our brains run on glucose, you know this basic sugar, um, which comes from carbohydrates. And there's no glucose in meat. And there's no glucose in dairy products to speak of. I mean, very little, none in eggs. So, So if we're eating animal-based foods, we're not getting the basic energy that we need. Our brain runs on glucose. I mean it's it's like 4 or 5% of our body weight and it uses about like 30% of our energy. It runs the brain and and it it can only run on glucose. So if we're not eating something that that breaks down to glucose, uh, which grains and legumes uh, and um, vegetables really do – then and potatoes and sweet potatoes. I mean that that gives us this the energy to run our brains, to run our to run our muscles. And uh, this is, I think, one of the reasons you're finding now that athletes are are moving uh, more and more toward a vegan way of living. People are, you know, long distance runners always knew you had to carve up if you're going to, you know, run 20 miles. But it's, we're understanding that you know this is the best way to build muscle. You know, that we have the strongest people in the world now are vegans. We have Some of the greatest runners, triathletes, everything, people are realizing that this is to to not only survive but to really thrive at a very high level uh, physically and mentally that a plant-based way of living is by far the best, especially one where we're not bringing in uh, toxins that that have to be – we have to get rid of. I mean there's already enough toxins just living in, in in the modern world. Uh, To to do the best we can to you know purify our water, but also that the food uh, that we're eating is clean. And um, and 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 the other thing is, I think like you said, the taste buds do evolve, and we find that uh, foods just become more and more delicious because we're appreciating them more. And I think that that's an important part of the whole thing. I talk about in the World Peace Diet. I, I make the the connection with sex. You know, I say. You know, if someone, someone can go to a prostitute and have sex, but it's sort of like it's not the same as having sex with someone you really love, you know, in terms of actual, you know, anything worth and meaningful. And, and it's, it's similar, I think, with food, you know, if we're eating food that we really love and we love to think where it came from and, and the fields and gardens and, you know, that someone was working and they weren't using toxic pesticides, they were building the soil, you know. And and that eating animal food is like it's even worse than going to a prostitute. It's like it's like rape. You're actually killing someone and getting the pleasure from that. I mean, what what could be worse? No wonder we have fast food. No 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 wonder people don't want to think about where their food comes from. They don't want to think about anything. We just want to stay shallow, go through our lives, not not contemplate, not look and feel deeply. Because if we if we did, our whole Uh, You know, exposure to our own hypocrisy or violence would be obvious. And so we have to, as a society, stay shallow. And if we stay shallow and don't look deeply and feel deeply, then it's a perfect setup for large corporate and financial institutions that want us to just go to war without questioning and buy their products without questioning and cut down rainforests without questioning. And allow people to starve without questioning i mean what veganism is it's about caring it's about looking deeply it's about making connections and it's about acting responsibly which actually is the the pathway to joy if i'm going to avoid responsibility that's actually a pathway to unhappiness and we everybody who thinks about this a little bit will realize how true that is that if i want to avoid responsibility then I'm going to do things, but it does come back. I mean, you know, the old saying, as you sow, you reap. You know, I call it the boomerang effect. I mean, things do come back. And so if we want to build a beautiful relationship with another person, it's not going to happen if we don't act responsibly. And if we want to build a beautiful relationship in our life, it's the same thing. If we think about how our actions affect others and do the best we can, that all of the actions that radiate from our choices and our thoughts and feelings are blessing others and helping them to be happier and freer then we're creating a whole field of joy and love in our world and it will bless them but it also it, it blesses us too i mean that's the funny thing the the, the most the way the, the irony is of course that the most skillful way to be selfish is to be unselfish mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if, you know if we if we try to make others happy we create a foundation where we find you know, and the most, you know, and and to try to, you know, say, well, I, you know, it's my right, you know, you can be a vegan if you want to, you know, that's your choice, but I, you know, it's my right to eat meat because I want to do that, and what that's saying is that, okay, so my right is more important than the right of the animal to her life, the right of the slaughterhouse worker to to her life or his life, the right of the hungry person who's starving because I want to eat the grain that could have fed them, the, the future generation person who's going to die because I want to eat this and and the ecosystems and the wild animals that are killed because we want to get rid of them because we have cows here now and no no wild horses allowed anymore. I mean, every time I I want my rights and what I want based on on just a, a narrow... A culturally indoctrinated perspective we create misery for others and it comes back and we and we find the people that eat the most meat and dairy have the highest rates of, of everything diabetes osteoporosis liver disease kidney disease heart disease as well as depression anxiety uh chronic pain you know that's that's it i mean that's what that's you know uh, alzheimer's disease dementia these things they all go together and war and and you know the United States eats more meat, we have more people in prison than any country in the world, so I think you know we have to realize that these are the connections that if we want to create a world of of freedom and joy, we can do it. The price we have to pay is is just that we don't harm others that we allow animals to live their lives don't eat them, let them celebrate their lives, and allow people to have livelihoods that don't require them to horribly abuse animals and that as we uh, actually act on that and not just theorize about it and this is i think where the progressive political movements and spiritual movements really need to wake up we have to start talking about this and making this part of our activism you know that we we want to be a peace activist or an activist for women's rights or uh, or, or anti-racist or whatever it is that we're vegan is, is the foundation in the sense that we're, we're living this in our day-to-day life, what we uh, say that we would like to see in the world. And uh, I think more and more people are understanding this, and uh, we still have a way to go, but I, I think that this is the, the basic wisdom that we can't keep avoiding this any longer.
2: Absolutely, and you know, we could not have said that better ourselves. Thank you for bringing all of those topics up to the table. Oh you're welcome. So where could our listeners find you if they're interested in following your work?
1: Well, we have uh, a website worldpeacediet.com and then my name will tuttle so that will willtuttle.com and so uh, we have our uh, lecture schedule is there uh, new um articles and essays that are being written are there. Uh, books we have a new book actually just came out called your inner islands the keys to intuitive living um i actually just wrote it i mean madeline's art and uh, my writing and then there's also a cd that goes with it of music it's like a multimedia course on developing spiritual intuition so it's not directly vegan it's it's vegan sort of in and through it but it's not Uh, only about that but it's more about spiritual intuition i don't have the website made for that yet but you but uh it'll be up in the next day or two and um it just came out you know like a week ago that that, that
0: includes uh your musical composure with the piano and everything
1: yeah 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 it's the book is just the book but then there's a, a companion cd which uh you can you can either download or you can just um uh, or you can buy or however you want to do it there's you can get it on itunes or google play or through us uh it, there's exercise that go with the music and then there's also madeline's paintings which are uh either come actually in the book or um they're they're right there on our website too you can just look at them as part of the exercise there's like there's exercises that use music and art as part of the um the training and intuition so that's um that's there and then also we have links to youtube videos of madeline's uh, uh, cooking, uh, and, uh, our garden and you know those kinds of things too. So we've been, um, we've been pretty busy with, with, uh, touring the last year. So we're now just beginning to do some more, uh, videos and things, but that's basically it. people want to go there. They can, we have a veg inspiration for the day if you're interested. So every day there's a an inspiring quote from the world peace diet, that comes into your inbox, and uh, we're happy to be in touch. And we also have a training, the World Peace Diet Facilitator Training. We've had quite a few people go through that, and that's a good way if you just want to go deeper into these ideas and um, become a facilitator. Uh, and then we've had a lot of people put on World Peace Diet study groups in their community and help build vegan community and create veg fests and create – um, vegan restaurants and sanctuaries and, and and groups of all kinds. It's really been great to see. I mean, Kip Anderson, who uh, created What the Health and
0: – Cowspiracy, Cows- yeah. yeah
1: he, he went through our training. A lot of people have gone on to create humane education groups and sanctuaries and, and billboard campaigns and all kinds of things have gone through our training. So it's really great to see what people – End up doing <laughs> after they go through. <laughs> so it's uh, it's wonderful, you know. I mean, the whole idea is to just um, you know help each other, really, just to help each other. It's so uh, difficult. I mean, being born in a society, you know, it's it, we're all abused, we're all wounded, we're all hurt by this, and so we're all you know, healing ourselves, and we can help each other uh, in the, in the process. And like you said, the uh, the meetup movements that are happening, and there's so many great things happening podcasts and things. And so uh, if you go to WorldPeaceDiet.com or WorldTuttle.com, you can see some of the things that we're doing and we're happy to you know collaborate with people in whatever way we can.
0: Extraordinary. Thank you so much, Dr. Tuttle. It was such a pleasure talking to you.
2: Yes. Thank you so much for coming on to our show.
1: Great. All right. Thank you. Thank you both. It's been wonderful. And keep up the great work you're both doing.
0: Thank you. One word. Brilliant.
2: Absolutely brilliant. And if you read The World Peace Diet or any of his other books – He expresses these messages and topics that he brought to the table just as eloquently through writing as he does through speaking. And you're going to learn so, so, so much information. So please check out those books. You won't regret it.
0: And now, the health tip of the episode.
2: Ding, 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 ding. Self-care. I know you're probably wondering, wait a minute, all our health tips are usually herbs, supplements, foods, things of that sort. But we're going to start throwing out to you more life coaching health tips because the mind and the heart and the soul are just as important as the body. So what does it mean, self-care? That's me time. That's you time. And sometimes that's often viewed as self-indulgent. And the correlation between the way we love ourselves and the way our lives pan out is often unnoticed. But self-care is so, so important. This improves our health, this lowers our stress, and it creates a more positive environment for us to live and thrive. So, all of us have different self-care routines, and some of you might have none at all, and you might be saying, oh, I'm too busy for that. But I'm going to be honest with you, when I hear I'm too busy for that, I hear I'm not ready to reprioritize my life to create a self-care routine. And this is something that I've had to come to terms with within myself, and I'd be lying if I said I had it perfect, because sometimes life gets ahead of us. But when we have a proper self-care routine, we're better able to navigate life's ups and downs. So what we've done for you at Soul & Wonder is if you go to (laughs) www.soulandwonder.com forward slash freebies, you can download a free copy of Four Steps to a Self-Loving You. This is a self-care checklist that we've created ourselves that focus on the body, mind, and soul health. And it allows you to see which areas in your life need improvement for your self-care routine. And then following that checklist, it comes equipped with well, put together questions to help you dig deeper into the confines of your mind. And it also helps you keep track of this self-care routine and gives you tips and tricks on how to maintain it. Um, and of course, that checklist is something that you can refer back to to continuously improve on. So, once again, www.soulandwonder.com forward slash freebies, and it's nice and short to the point and completely free and of course if you like our self-care checklist and the questions that it provides then we would love to hear your thoughts on our facebook page or instagram or just send us a nice little message
0: and that will be it
2: that's it thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next week same time
0: take care folks